Welcome to T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Your host is Jose Negron. We take the guesswork out of technological jargon so that you know what's next, why it's great or not so great, and how you can benefit from it by learning about it early. Now, here is Jose Negron. Welcome, everybody. This is your host, Jose Negron, on voiceamerica.com on the Variety Channel, hosting the leading technology show, T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies, every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or noon East Coast Time. You can also catch us on our podcast Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, mornings and afternoon at voiceamerica.com on the Variety Channel and tune in to T3 Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. I'm excited today because uh, it's a show that uh, is very popular. It's something that uh, really continues our discussion from the last few weeks and several months when we talk about space. Today's topic is space robots. I'll be honest, I didn't realize how many space robots we had and how many have been uh, uh, built by different countries and how often these robots go into space. But it's one of those things that we really, really need to take a look at. And last week, as many of you know, I, I just talked a little bit about robots, commercial robots, manufacturing robots. Uh, and therefore, I need to go back a little bit and really define that. But first, uh, the program today, we should be able to answer the following questions. How much do we know about space robots? How many robots help explore the galaxies? Are satellites, drones, rovers, landers, and other spacecrafts robots? How many robots have helped explore space? In our last discussion on robots, we explored that... Uh, uh, we explored robots and how much did we really know about robots and these are the typical robots that help us around earth here we talked about the lawnmower robot we talked about the autonomous vehicle we talked about the uh, the vacuum cleaner robots uh, the commercial robots that are used you know, both in the automobile and now moving into the warehouse we talked about uh, Walmart and Amazon having their side-by-side uh, uh, -side robot uh, working with uh, man. So today, we're going to focus on robots in space. It's uh, it's an interesting topic because I want to go back and review what is a robot. And I have a very special guest today, uh, Hawks Abbott. Abbott uh, worked to Hawks, uh, worked at NASA for many years during the space shuttle launch. He's a Navy aviator. He is an expert uh, on space, and we'll talk about that. The program today, but I'll break it down into three segments. The first two segments will talk about robots themselves and the variety of robots and what they've done and, and so forth and so on. And in the last segment, we're going to talk about space policy and the capability of space and space force and any other topics that uh, I think Hawks uh, has prepared for us. But more importantly, really, we're going, we, and we've talked about it a little bit, uh, moving from the moon to Mars and, uh, the, and that relaunching. So first of all, uh, I like to define what a robot is, as we all remember from last week's discussion, uh, you know, what is a robot? 
and many of us think about a robot. And I talked about the robot in, of Lost in Space because that's the one I was first encountered. And that was a, a Class M3 model B9, a general utility non-theorizing environmental control robot. It was uh, first seen on Lost in Space. Many of us grew up with R2-D2 or C-3PO, uh, known as droids in Star Wars. And as course, we've talked about the Romba, the autonomous vehicle, uh, and, uh, and the UAVs that are um, autonomous as well. But most importantly, a robot is a physical machine. It's usually programmable by, by a computer. It executes tasks autonomously or automatically. It's a physical thing, and engineers agree to that. It makes decisions. Uh, in turn, it's very useful. It helps the humans. But most importantly, a robot can act, it can sense, it can think about the next steps. And that's really what a robot is. As I said, my guest today, I'm very happy to have him, please, is Mr. Hawks Abbott. Hawks is a former Navy aviator, space expert, former employee for the working at NASA. Our focus today is space robots. Hawks, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. When I look at the, you know, I, I take a look at NASA robots and and how many robots they've launched. I I, I am amazed. It took me uh, a couple days to research it, uh, but really, uh, robots and robotic devices have use uh, by NASA to aid human exploration. Uh, it is uh, a tool that uh, improves the the percentage of survivability. It, it is used when humans uh, can no longer be, uh, be safe, really. It's a safety device, and what's important about Space robots is that they they you know they take measurements for the robot uh, for the astronauts they collect samples uh, they assemble and fix equipment and structures and the robots are used to explore pa uh, planets with cameras and provide insights into the atmosphere landscape and faraway places and we'll talk about Voyager one and two which is kind of interesting because they have now reached the uh, interstellar of space and that is something that we'll talk about I, I'm still amazed by the number when I talk about space uh, the vastness of the universe in outer space and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that but what was the first uh, space robot uh, Hawks can you go back in that time and, and kind of describe it for us a little bit and what do you think uh, happened after that well, in uh, October of 1957, uh, the first satellite launch was, of course, uh, the Russian, or I should say, the USSR, Sputnik, the first uh, artificial satellite to orbit the Earth. It had a mass of, uh, oh, about 84 kilograms, and it was launched in an elliptical or orbit of 939 kilometers by 215 kilometers. It traveled at 29,000 kilometers per hour, and it took about 96 to 97 minutes to orbit the Earth. And it made a RF uh, emission that allowed people to hear that it was uh, pinging across the sky, and many people saw it, and it uh, turned into the epitus of getting the United States into the space arena. 
Well, that was uh, that was a historical moment. Uh, everybody knew about uh, Sputnik when it launched, and it really created, uh, I guess, uh, established a space race between the U.S. and and Russia. And then we continue moving. Uh, let's talk about the next. Uh, we know about Sputnik, but the next space robots are really satellites. Let's talk about satellites and, and their capability because we all know about the communication satellites. We all know about navigation satellites uh, and, of course, the weather satellites. Uh, but there are different satellites, different orbits. And, you know, there's drone satellites, ground satellites, polar satellite, nano satellites. Uh, can you describe it a little bit? Why are satellites positioned in different orbits? Sure can. Um, the The... Growth of satellite systems uh, in orbit has grown literally exponentially, and the first satellites to go up were practical pieces of hardware that had software guidance and or could be controlled from the ground because they were close enough uh, to send RF messages to it and command it to do something. Um, first weather satellite was in 1960. Um, and you can imagine why it was put up. It was it was an issue of of protecting the people on the ground from major hurricanes and typhoons and large storms and that type of thing to predict what was going to happen the next day. You know, farmers wanted to know when they were going to get rain, for example. Um, first communication satellite occurred in 1962, and from that point on, after. Um, the gentleman, I think, who uh, proposed it was Arthur Clark, uh, proposed uh, satellites to be put up to communicate. So then all of a sudden we start having satellites that communicate uh, around the world rather than have to have, to have a hard line uh, going around the world. So the, the production of satellites was a furtherance of human need on the surface of the Earth. Wow, and uh, it, it you know satellites we've gotten used to it. And GPS is uh, really the mainstay of the satellite system. What was interesting to me about satellites is uh, is the use of the GPS system when it was launched, how how they were, it was used, and of course the the need for GPS because GPS was out there, uh, I guess commercially 1994, but it was out there about 77, 78 when we first started using it. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, you know, there's different types of robots. That's what I found out. And we'll talk a little bit about the classes. The ROV, remotely operated vehicles. These are roaming uh, desert landscape uh, control vehicles that are used for uh, long transmission radios and waves that NASA use. We also had the RMS, which is the uh, long arm uh, robot, uh, Dexter, uh, that is used off the space uh, station. It's 50-foot arms. Uh, it's, it has three joints and a shoulder elbow and wrist it's it's very effective in grasping things and it's been able i guess the most popular item that's put up in space is the hubble spacecraft any any uh, thoughts on these two uh, rovers and rms uh, vehicles as far as robots are concerned there hawks um absolutely november of 1970 the first lunacod um uh, in fact it was lunacod one that the USSR uh, sent to the moon, and it was a, uh, you know, with a quarter of a second uh, relay time between Earth and the moon, it was controlled by assets 
in uh, Russia, and it uh, survived on uh, the surface of the moon for an extensive period of time and went around and examined uh, the lunar soil, the regolith. The, it uh, um, took many, many images, and eventually it was to actually return some regolith from the moon back to the earth. Um, other things that have occurred over the years that have been very meaningful to us have been the Viking landers in the 70s uh, on Mars, and, and we actually landed an asset on Venus before it uh, got overheated and quit working. Uh, so uh, these satellites were actually robots sent to these different places to examine what was there and to confirm what we thought or disprove uh, what we thought and gave us new pieces to work on and new pieces to discover. Absolutely, and we're looking at one right now. NASA's sending life-hunting drone to Saturn, a huge uh, moon titan, and that launch will occur 2026. It is, uh, it's going to arrive eight years later in 2034. It's 10-foot long. Uh, it will gather a variety of data. Uh, at each of the stops, uh, it's just a you know it's a flying drone, so it's quite interesting when we start talking about aviation and space. Uh, drone referring to unpiloted aircraft or spacecraft, and uh, we know them as uh, UAVs or unmanned aerial vehicles. The other thing I'd like to bring up is the uh, the ability of rovers. Uh, you started talking about it. I was quite. Uh, it was quite interesting because uh, rovers are used all the time uh, to explore space and move across the surfaces of the planet or other celestial bodies. And it's designed to transport members of the human spaceflight crew. It's autonomous. Uh, it's uh, it's a lander style uh, spacecraft. Uh, it uh, the rovers are created uh, to. Uh, navigate through the planet. Uh, it, it collects samples of uh, dust, rocks, it even takes pictures and transmit those pictures. So it's got a variety. But what I was surprised that uh, you know, Lukoid uh, uh, Zero was uh, started by the Russian. Lukoid One was successful. It was the first roving uh, remote control robot to land on a celestial body. Uh, it was uh, on the moon in November 1970. So. A lot of us think about robots recently, and especially myself, as I was um, had the privilege to be the program manager for the first DARPA Grand Challenge in 2004, and think about it. We've been doing robots and robot missions and drone missions uh, for a long, long time, early 70s, and we'll talk about the landers uh, as well, because I think they go back uh, early 50s and 60s as we talk about that. But there's a lot of, uh, you know, the Apollo uh, lunar roving vehicle uh it it went to the moon apollo 15 apollo 16 and apollo 17 so we had a lot of pictures and and collections on that uh you had uh the sojourner it's a mars pathfinder mission uh which uh first had a rover to successfully deploy on a planet it returned 6500 images and and had uh 55 
or 550 images from Sojourner. So those are uh, team-compatible uh, robots that played a major part in space ex- exploration. And when I start thinking about Mars and this, you know, returning to the moon and, and a trip to Mars, I keep thinking about uh, the capability of um, a lot of these rovers and scientific experiments uh, with these uh, landers, rovers, rovers have been going to the moon and uh, they've gone to other planets, but the moon and Mars have uh, uh, taken the propensity of uh, these robots. So it's quite interesting as I continue my research to discover that. Any comments on that? Oh, absolutely. The, um, the surveyor class of satellites, of which I believe there were three or four landings on the moon prior to the Apollo expeditions, um, that surveyed and prepared NASA for the landing locations uh, in addition to the Apollo uh, 8 and Apollo 10 spacecraft, which, which orbited the moon and looked at different spots that uh, surveyor had already provided so that they determined with great accuracy where they wanted to land spacecraft, uh, including the fact that Apollo 12 landed within uh, walking distance of surveyor uh, on the moon. So, you know, these kinds of events just build on top of each other uh, along the way, whether it was spirit or opportunity, which exceeded all expectations. They were supposed to only operate 90 to 120 days, and they operated for 8, 10 years and provided incredible amounts of images and data on the surface of Mars. Um, And the new exploration has uh, gone forward with uh, Curiosity, which landed in 2011, I think it was November of 2011, on Mars, and and proving not only on top of what uh, Spirit and Opportunity found was the indications of water, liquid water, on Mars. And, of course, Curiosity just expanded on that information and has confirmed huge amounts of frozen water under the surface of Mars. So the not only have we built on the robotic success on both the moon and at Mars, but we've done this, um, for example, of this absolutely premier device called Hubble Telescope that's been in orbit for so long, since 1990 it's been on, or, uh, been on orbit, and it has expanded our knowledge of our galaxy, the Milky Way, and beyond our galaxy to identify the local group of galaxies, and beyond that, the proof of Hubble's expanding universe. So it's amazing the amount of data and completeness we've gone through. All right, folks. Uh, let's uh, let's. Uh, we're t- our subject today are, uh, is space robots. My guest is Hawks Abbott, uh, former NASA employee and Navy aviator. We're going to take our, our first break, and we'll be back talking about robots in space. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to today tomorrow's technologies to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to today tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com now back to our show welcome back folks Uh, let's continue our topic today on today tomorrow's technology our topic today is space robots we've been talking about the exploration of space the importance of the exploration of space but before i continue that let's talk about the definition of a robot first of all a robot is a physical machine it's programmable by a computer it executes tasks autonomously or automatically it's a physical thing engineers like that and a robot's able to act sense and think about the next action. More importantly, space robots are used to measure, collect samples, assemble and fix equipment, and explore other planets by transmitting pictures. Uh, And, of course, they do uh, atmospheric tests, they uh, test the landscape, and they go to worlds that uh, we have not been. Uh, I'd like to turn the subject a little bit and let's talk about landers because uh, we had the opportunity uh, to talk about uh, an exploration of landers. Landers is a spacecraft which ascends towards uh, and comes to the surface of the uh, astronomical body or the surface. And we had the lunar lander. I think uh, to- uh, Hawks talked about that. Lunar 2 in 1959 was the first uh, uh, spacecraft to reached the lunar surface. Uh, the Chinese has been, uh, uh, launched the uh, uh, Change 3 mission, and it uh, landed on the, on the, uh, on the backside of the, uh, of the moon. And so you have other, other countries uh, launching different types of robots. Uh, just a quick, uh, I guess uh, if I summarize this segment more than anything else about robots in space and, and a series of orbiters, robots, landers that have been sent to 
Mars because really in the next 10, 20 years, uh, we will be back in the moon in the next 10 and our goal is to be in, in at Mars in the next 20. So or, uh, the first orbiter was uh, Marine 4, which flew past Mars July 14, 1965. And it took a lot of close-up pictures of the planet. The first lander was Viking Lander. Viking 1 landed uh, July 20th, September. 1976, Viking 2, uh, September 3rd, 76. Both landers were accompanied uh, by an orbiter. Uh, and, and, of course, there were a lot of questions about life on Mars, and and we're still uh, trying to answer that. And, the cur- and currently, Spirit and Opportunity, as Hawks talked about, are roving around uh, the Martians. And the Phoenix lander returned the wealth of information about the, that neighborhood. That is the reason why I think... At first, I I wasn't sure whether we needed to go to Mars and why were we going to Mars and were we prepared. But after my uh, reading here and studying and, and understanding how many space robots have been launched from uh, uh, from the U.S. NASA program, from the Russian program, from the Chinese program, from the European Space Agency, they had uh, a wealth. Uh, in fact, they developed the first webcam uh, on that planet, and so it was quite interesting. And of course, uh, the Robonaut. Uh, it's uh, it's called R2. It it was uh, launched in 2011. It's launched to the uh, space station, and it was supposed to assist astronauts doing tests and mundane things, and so forth and so on. And now we have other. Uh, uh, I guess uh, UAV is going to help uh, the space station, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But let me just uh, ask Hawks. Hawks, anything on landers or anything else you would like to add to uh, to the discussion on robots? Well, absolutely. Uh, if we hadn't, uh, if uh, the, the the different countries on planet Earth hadn't developed robots to explore our own solar system, and at first it was the moon, and then it was the other planets, we, our knowledge would be still quite antiquated. But we, we've gone out with these robots that are programmed specifically to do certain things, and whether it's dig into the soil of Mars, as uh, both Spirit and uh, Opportunity did, and then we took advantage of that with the Phoenix lander up near the uh, North Pole of Mars to determine that, yeah, underneath the surface there was frozen water. What a resource. So, And Curiosity has taken advantage of that. Also, the or, uh, the, around the planet, uh, the... the uh, Mars Orbiter has been taking pictures and giving guidance for those people programming at, uh, I think it's about 40 minutes that it takes to get a, a guidance package to uh, Curiosity on the surface and have uh, it ex- execute the next day. But the planning goes through the robot that's in orbit. And so all of these different pieces linked together to be a, quite a complex uh set of processes to affect robotic exploration, and that's exactly what we're doing, trying to prepare ourselves for uh, human uh, activity on the surface of both in preparation for going to Mars. We have to do that on the moon to become appropriately experienced to do the right things when we arrive at Mars. 
Yeah, I was quite fascinated by learning uh, the variety of robots and uh, rovers and other uh, machine-made objects sent to uh, the, both the moon, outer space, and, of course, Mars itself. And now I understand why we should be very well prepared for Mars as we begin to explore that. Let me just back up a little bit. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about uh, uh, kind of a UAV. It's it's a tiny cube-shaped robot. It's arrived. It's, uh, it's called the Astro. B. It is pro uh, propelled electronically by electric uh, fans. It's there to uh, help scientists pr uh, do scientific uh, payload experiments, collect data, and just float around the space station. So those bees uh, arrived uh, a little bit past uh, May uh, 2019, and they're taking over for the Robonaut, which was uh, kind of like a man uh, robot with uh, wheels. And hopefully they're planning on uh, putting legs on the robot here in the near future and the uh, to support the R2 experiment but the robot was kind of interesting because it went to space it, it worked with a German space uh, astronaut it recognized the astronaut helped the astronaut do the experiments and after that of course the uh, cube sh uh, shape uh, robots of uh, the astro bees are coming to help the scientists and more importantly they're there to help uh, uh, find lost items I guess uh, because of the weightlessness and if you don't tie down the equipment uh, it kind of roams around the space station and so the astrobees are there to help uh, uh, that and the astrobees can either be controlled by the astronaut themselves uh, by the space station uh, uh, flight controllers on the ground or researchers okay so that's kind of interesting to me uh, as uh, more and more and this is this is a pattern that we discussed uh, several weeks ago, or we've been t talking about robots. Are robots taking the place of humans in certain functionality when it becomes safety, hazardous, and difficult to do or mundane tasks? The answer is yes. But there are other tasks that I think the inter interaction between human and machine is so important that that I believe that process will continue to grow. So that that's what I believe. Uh, uh, Hawks, do you have any comments on the robots replacing man or uh, the ability to co coexist as we move further and further into space? Well, as, uh, the bottom line, we have to coexist. And uh, back to your comments about safety um, into hazardous uh, conditions. Uh, none of space, whether it's orbital space or uh, landing on a moon or landing on another planet, uh, we need to do uh, coordinated efforts between robots and human activity. Uh, first of all, to, to use the robots to prepare uh, for the landing of a human on Mars is one thing. Um, to prepare how to build... Uh, habitation modules to prepare the kind of things that we want to do on the moon in preparation for uh, uh, the mission to Mars. How do we provide enough energy to propel a spacecraft all the way to uh, Mars at current uh, capabilities, ISP capabilities? Uh, all of those things that we need to do in preparation, we need to... Uh, have the robots help us get there and plan for it, such as uh, digging, for example, propellant on the surface of the moon, which could be put up to a Lagrange point and allow us to build a spacecraft that will traverse the long 
four to six month uh, distance to Mars and prepare us on the surface of Mars by sending other robotic spacecraft to Mars to prepare for a human habitation landing and outpost. Absolutely. And NASA's uh, robots, uh, robotic devices, are used to aid, augment, and substitute for astronauts in order to do difficult or rote tasks as repair in dangerous environments. And that's really the critical ones. I'll, I'll just go through a list here because I, I was surprised how many robots we did have. Uh, you got Robonaut we talked about. You had a robot called Simone in 2018. I went up there to do scientific experiment. You have Razor, Spider-Knot, Athlete, Dexter's the Arm, the Sphere, uh, the Curiosity, and Pioneer. Both of those have uh, been in the public uh, new, uh, news. So it's quite interesting as we go through there uh one one uh, uh robot i'd like to talk about it really is voyager one and two these are uh space uh crafts that uh have uh, reached the interstellar uh, interstellar space it was launched in 1977 uh it is still functioning um it, it's almost been 35 years uh since they were launched and it was uh, a set voyager two uh took off uh, august 20th 1977 and Voyager 1 launched two weeks later, uh, September 5th, uh, 1977. Uh, the next major space encounter for these Voyager is 40,000 years from now, okay, when they reach star AC plus 793888. And that's uh, roughly 17.5 light years from Earth. When I start talking about these light years from Earth, I, I, I get um, that's mind-boggling event, and I'll I have a little formula here. But l I'll let you comment on these uh, on the Voyager One and Voyager Two uh, reaching interstellar space for us, uh, Hawks. Uh, going into uh, going past the heliopause, which is considered the boundary area. Uh, between the influence of the sun uh, of our solar system into true interstellar space of the Milky Way. And it, 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 it is nothing but amazing that these two vehicles have lasted this long. They, they've, uh, the communication with them takes such a long time to get to them and to come back from them. Um, I, I, if I remember correctly, I don't know whether both of them actually have transmitted um, in the in the just the near um, pastime uh, of getting back to uh, um, uh, communicating with Earth. I, I'm trying to remember uh, whether I've read lately uh, that uh, down at Pasadena they've received anything from either. Um, Voyager 1 or Voyager 2. Uh, if I remember correctly, they, the last contact was last year. Exactly. They continue to send photos and, and transmissions, uh, although uh, Voyager 1, I believe, is losing a little bit of power itself on communication, and they're expecting uh, to be calm out uh, or communication out by 2025. But they continue to fly. I mean, when we talk about uh, reaching the next star in 17.5 light years, I had to go back and look at what is a light year. You know, the distance are just mind-boggling. 
to me. So a light year is the distance light travels in one year. How far is that? Multiplying the number of seconds in a year by the number of miles or kilometers uh, or kilometers um, that a light travels in one second. Uh, so one light year is about 500, or excuse me, 5.8888 trillion miles or 9.5 uh, trillion kilometers. I mean, even 5.88 trillion miles to me is, uh, that's one light year. That's just unbelievable. And the universe is supposed to be 93 uh, light years in vastness, and they don't even believe that's just an initial estimate. So it's quite uh, quite an expansive uh, distance and and. The volume of space, but the Voyager has been a significant uh, spacecraft uh, robot that has been transmitting back to Earth, and it's been making significant uh, um, discoveries along the way. But as you said, it's it's into interstellar uh, stellar space. Interstellar space. I mean, that is that to me is pretty amazing. And what I can think about, uh, you know, when you think about space. Uh, the non-gravity, it's a vacuum, it's cold, uh, you know, and interstellar space is supposed to be colder. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, how cold is that? And that's pretty, pretty amazing. So the that's a reason why uh, space is not conditioned for humans and, and the use of robots and drones and, and so forth are so critical in our space exploration. Uh, as we turn to our 50th year of Apollo 11, Hawks, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, we've got about five minutes uh, to really review Apollo 11 and, and, and discuss what happened and what are the lessons learned on Apollo 11. Well, uh, first of all, uh, it, the Apollo 11 crew did a phenomenal job in landing uh, from the get-go. Uh, all the surveyor reports, the Ranger program, uh, uh, the images taken by Apollo 8 and Apollo 10 uh, of landing sites. Uh, Tranquility Base was uh, uh, determined that that's where they wanted to land. Uh, because they were a little bit behind uh, uh, the curve time-wise on thrust packages, they probably overshot uh, the the initial portion of Tranquility Area, uh, and that's why um, uh, Neil Armstrong had to go to manual and and over uh, li- literally leapfrog over a boulder field until he found an area that was smooth enough to land on. Um, and it, during that whole uh, wondrous, you know, descent to the surface of of the moon, uh, the uh, Buzz Aldrin is uh, telling uh, um, Neil, "Okay, we are descending at this rate and laterally this amount." So he's saying, "Okay, down thirty and moving forward uh, fifteen uh, meters at a time." And what happened was that uh, the uh, radar was also giving them input to how far they were from the surface of, of the moon. Well, there was so much uh, radar input that it overloaded uh, the chip, um, the AD-12 chip, and a 1202 alarm came up, and, and nobody knew what it was. 
and, and well, of course, the ground came back well, and assessed it. That well, hold that thought right there. Hold that thought, uh, Hawks. Let's talk about uh, what happened to that chip. Uh, we're reaching our uh, second commercial break. Our topic today is space robot. My guest is uh, Mr. Hawks Abbott, uh, expert in space, uh, space and space activities, and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to today, tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. This is Jose Negron, your host for T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technology. And my guest today is Mr. Hawks Abbott. Hawks is a former NASA employee, a Navy aviator, and a space expert. We've been talking about space robots. And I'll be honest with you, I was quite surprised at the number of robots, types of robots that NASA has produced, uh, the Russians, the Chinese, uh, the European Space Station, and various other countries that have supported the robotic program into space. It is quite fascinating to me. Uh, the last time we talked a little bit about it, I'd like to bring out the Voyager 1 and 2 spacecraft because these these spacecraft have been traveling for over 42 years. They were launched in 19 uh, or 27, uh, excuse me, 1977. And here we are uh, in 2019. And it's quite interesting. And the ability to transmit uh, communication and a little bit of the photograph and the vastness of interstellar space is, is, to me, quite amazing. We talked about the lunar uh, modules. Apollo uh, 11 is what we uh, stopped our conversation. They were about ready to land on the on the moon's surface when they had a uh, emergency um, um, switch come on. And uh, Hawks was trying to describe that. So, Hawks, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, and, and we can back up a little bit just to get the rest of the audience involved. Uh, on the descent from a lunar orbit down, uh, 
as I mentioned, uh, Buzz Aldrin was calling out vertical change as well as horizontal change across the surface of the moon. And because of their burn uh, to uh, descent that forced the descent process, in other words, they slowed up and they, uh, so they started, uh, uh, I shouldn't, they redirected to go into a descent. And so they were headed towards the surface and, uh, a, an alarm came up. It's called the 1202 alarm. And the alarm was literally saying that the computer chip, um, the 8012 chip within uh, the programming sequence of the computer on the LEM overloaded. It was getting too much information, and it was uh, literally telling, I can't take this. I'm going to uh, go to zero and restart. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, they pulled the circuit breaker, they popped it back in, and it reset itself and it started functioning again. Well, uh, uh, within 20 seconds later, a 1201 alarm came forward, literally saying the same thing again. So it went from a 1202 to 1201 alarm that the chip on the computer within the, uh, the LEM, the Lunar Excursion Module, uh, was overloading. And, but by this time, um, they understood the problem. Uh, both Neil and Buzz, and so, and they had just uh, hopscotched, uh, uh, leapfrogged over the boulder field, and uh, Armstrong had gone to manual coordination, and so he slowed the spacecraft down laterally and uh, vertically, and then landed in the smooth spot past the boulder field, and then he announced, Tranquility Base, the Eagle has landed. Wow, that's uh, still sending chill bumps up to, uh, myself. So anyway, let's let's move on and let's talk about now. Uh, you know, we're we're in the midst of uh, space exploration. Uh, the president himself signed a new uh, White House Space Policy Directive One. It changes uh, what we're doing in space, and that is we're about ready to, uh, you know, improve our na- national space po- uh, policy by uh, uh, bringing back humans or astronauts. Uh, for uh, another visit at, at the moon and then eventually Mars. As we move forward in the space policy, you and I have talked about it, even uh, launching a new space force. So let's talk a little bit about that. Give me your ideas on the uh, new national directive, and then let's talk a little bit about the space force. Well, I, I am delighted that uh, President Trump has put some new focus on uh, human expansion across our solar system uh, to include going back to the moon and preparing ourselves for an extremely difficult trip to Mars. And not only will it be a long trip, uh, just one way, people have to remember that Kepler's laws come into control here. When you go out into orbit, remember there's no forces on it on you except a few photons from the sun uh, bumping into your spacecraft. So when you go somewhere at uh, 26 to 40,000 miles per hour, you have to stop at the other end using as much energy to slow down as you did to speed up. So it's not going to be an easy process. We have to prepare for it well. Uh, Part of that is building an outpost on the moon so we know how we want to survive on the surface of Mars. And one is habitation and having an energy for your habitation to keep you warm and, and to uh, dig the soil for water 
And uh, man cannot live without water. I should say man and women cannot live without water. And so, therefore, all our astronauts and cosmonauts, taikonauts, whatever they whatever team gets sent to Mars is going to have uh, a long history of trying to ensure uh, the use of robots to help them to prepare the path for getting there. And possibly a robot could be sitting on the surface of Mars and already dug uh, a habitation area or uh, dug up enough water for uh, living for a year those things have to be done before the arrival of human habitation. But I'm delighted that Trump has uh, decided to move forward in this manner because we have just barely begun to explore our own solar system um, with the uh, advent of multiple robotic capabilities, and they will increase as we uh, go forward in, in time. Yeah, as I look at statistics and we continue to explore space and add uh, really the astronauts or the human back into the space program, and it's critical because there's a lot of, uh, I, I guess, pros and cons, whether we should go back or not go back. But uh, as I stated in my uh, robotics show last week, I mean, humans bring out the ability to be creative, the ability to understand the, the environment or situational awareness a little bit faster than any robot right now. Even with artificial intelligence that uh, uh, people uh, claim that robots have, and it's really machine-to-machine learning or cognitive learning, uh, uh, AI still, at least from my perspective, five to 20 years out to do uh, tasks. And humans add to the creativity, the real understanding, and the functionality of uh, space exploration. And I think that's important. Uh, It is hazardous. There's no question about it. I mean, uh, we have lost... Um, at least, uh, what is it, uh, Hawks, about 14 uh, uh, crew members from uh, the shuttle itself program? Yes, the, the accident uh, on 26 January uh, of 1986 cost us seven. And then again in uh, uh, February of 2001, we lost another seven coming in. So we've lost on launch and we've lost coming back home. Yes, so, uh, I mean, it's a dangerous, uh, uh, exploring anything is dangerous, and it's uh, it's like everything else. We have to be prepared. We have to be, safety is paramount, as we always say in, fly, in the flying business. Uh, and uh, But what's good about it, 60% of the Americans believe that uh, the space program has benefit, and, and we haven't even begun to talk about all of the technology that was developed uh, and is still being developed by the space program. I mean, it is. It is a tremendous amount of technology and uses that we have here. I mean, uh, a couple, the Velcro, uh, the, the GPS, you know, uh, the autonomous and automatic rover uh, business. That's all started off in the space business. How do we, how do we communicate? How do we uh, navigate? How do we tie things down? Uh, all those things. Can you name a couple others there, Hawks? Absolutely. Um, the the uh, advancement of nanotechnology uh, yeah. over the last few years is going to only help uh, the production of robots that do things um, that are, um, they may seem medial, uh, but they have to be accomplished. Uh, for example, uh, uh, little robots on spacecraft that clean and uh, 
reuse the fluids from human habitation. Um, that is at the nano level that you want to have that happen. You want to clean uh, uh, fecal matter and uh, urine from uh, the storage unit on a spacecraft uh, and reuse it, break it down, and let the nano capability uh, at the molecular level change, uh, uh, you know, um, human waste back into usable products. In other words, uh, a recycling program uh, that is uh, uh, beneficial to the explorers as they move out. Right. We've got about four minutes, so what I'd like to do is break it down into about uh, about. A, let's talk about a minute on the, uh, you know, as NASA continues to go to uh, the moon and Mars. Any other words or further thoughts on that? Uh, I, it's going to have to be uh, a, a program that uh, that connects with the people here on Earth uh, again, like Apollo did initially with. The Live from the Cape, you know, which was uh, CBS, ABC, and NBC, uh, get people excited about, uh, um, for example, the excitement that went with Apollo 11 and how well we did there. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, of course, uh, where, where we included Apollo 12, 14, 15, 16, and 17, you know, uh, Two hours and 40 minutes on, on Apollo 11 on the surface as compared to uh, literally two and a half days on the surface for Apollo 17. And also, let's talk about the commercialization of space and especially, uh, you know, an asteroid that's very close. Uh, I mean, close as relative in, in space uh, time distance. But uh, going back to uh, uh, space, especially the moon and then Mars and the asteroid is for commercialization of minerals. Uh, any discussion on that? Oh, yeah. Psyche uh, 16. Uh, is a asteroid that was discovered, I think it's been uh, about 20 years ago, um, is so large and so composed of gold, platinum, uh, nickel, iron, um, that it would make everybody a billionaire on the surface of the earth. Even with 7 billion people, this uh, literally, asteroid or meteor, uh, meteor um, is so large that if we brought it back to Earth, everybody would be a billionaire. Wow! So All right. I, well, we've I, got I, a minute left. Let's let's talk about extraterrestrial life because that's been in the news. You got Navy pilots seeing extraterrestrial or spacecraft. Uh, a little bit of comment on that. You got about 30, 30 to forty five seconds. I, well, to me, I, I think Carl, uh, Dr. Carl Sagan was right. There are billions and billions of suns out there, and there, are, there is life out there, but I think we are a long ways from it. We are uh, essentially a third-rate solar system on an arm of a spiral galaxy uh, called the Milky Way, and we are a long ways from everybody else. So it may take us a while to find extraterrestrials. 
All right. Well, folks, we've been uh, talking about space robots. My guest today is Hawks Abbott. He's a Navy aviator, a former NASA employee, a space expert, and I've certainly enjoyed talking about space robots with him today. And we covered a variety of robots in space from uh, from uh, satellites, drones, rovers, landers, and spacecrafts in, the, in, uh, in space. And we talked a little bit about the space policy and about asteroids uh, that are close by and the commercialization of space. It's it's just huge. But anyway, I'd like to thank uh, Dee Daniels, my executive producer. Uh, I'd like to uh, thank Alexandria Loreno, my uh, uh, executive assistant. And I cannot wait for our next space uh, uh, show because it's a very fascinating subject when we get into that. In the following weeks, I'll continue working on robotics. Uh, we'll talk about medical ro- robots and other robots, that, uh, mining robots, a little bit about that. It's a fascinating world when you really start searching uh, what can robots do, and especially when you start integrating them with human capacity. Anyway, until our, your next show next week, this is your host, Jose Negron, on T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technology. Uh, so long until our next tech show. Take care. Thank you for listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We hope you'll join your host, Jose Negron, for another exciting program next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your week.